Hello again, welcome back. Can you believe it? We only have four more, including today's episode. Four more times together. Oh, wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, at least I know it does with me. (laughs) We're going to jump right in because really uh, this first part of chapter 21 uh, really seems to tag along with the end of chapter 20. And then it takes a little bit of a, a turn as Jesus begins to talk about the temple. And the reason why I say that uh, this beginning part of chapter 21 uh, fits well with the end of chapter 20 is, well, because they both involve the widows, right? We're at the end of chapter 20, verse 47, with uh, regards to uh, the scribes, the ones that have the long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and such. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says in 47. Uh, These scribes who devour widows' houses... And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So what does it mean to feast uh, on the widows, right? Or devour the widows' homes? Well, simply put, things were put into place to where uh, people had to give a certain amount, right? And if these widows didn't give the right amount, then perhaps they could be ostracized or at least felt guilty uh, enough to give everything they owned. In a lot of ways, that was used to line the pockets of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's um, utterly devastating to, to think that that's what's happening, but it's true. And you hear about those kinds of circumstances even now where people are led to believe that they need to give more or else. And While the person maybe even saying that might not realize the effect that it's having on somebody, that's a big load of guilt for somebody to carry. And while we certainly are called to give, and we do need to give because it shows a trust in God, right? When we give to him, trusting him, but to uh, put a certain measure on it it would certainly be unbearable uh, for some people. It just wouldn't be bearable at all. Uh, I know that there are some television shows, right? Uh, claiming to be religious shows where give a certain amount and you'll receive a big blessing. Well, you know what? God blesses anyway. But yes, you should give only so that you can see God at work in the ways of which he chooses to work in and so that you can trust God by trusting him and thanking him uh, by giving and such. But you got to be careful with the weight you put on other individuals. Uh, so here's what happens in 21. Jesus sees this poor widow Uh, puts two small copper coins into the offering box. Now, two small copper coins, this is really as little as you can give. It's the smallest amount of currency. We hear copper, you think, well, that might not be too bad. But no, uh, copper's cheap. Uh, Copper's hardly anything. If you were to look at it from the outside, uh, maybe from the way that we as people look at it, we think, well, this isn't significant. We really couldn't get much out of it until you realize who it is that gave it. See, Jesus knows where it's come from. It's come from all of this woman to give this amount. And I'm going to assume that it was a delight for her to do so, but she gave it from her poverty. She could have used those things for something else pertaining to her, but instead she gives it. But little she has, she gives it. There could have been a lot of people who were giving a lot more. Gold, silver, but in reality, though, it was just a fraction of the wealth. It doesn't mean much. They couldn't even tell the difference in their bank account because that's how much they have. Which one means more? If I know somebody that gave of their time and they had just a little time, but they took the time for me, that means the world to me. 
Or a child saying they want to put money in the offering plate because they want to give and it's like 50 cents. Well, you know what? That means a lot more to me than the individual that would maybe throw $10 in that I know has a lot more. Not that I, the pastor, am judging how many puts in, but I think you know what I'm saying. The person that wants to give, that's need to be a part of that and to want to be a part of it. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Okay, now we're going to make the shift here. Uh, and Jesus does too in talking about the uh, destruction of the temple. And as you're as you're listening to this, um, you know it's split up into about four or five sections in your scriptures. Probably they probably have all these different headings. And when you're reading it, you're probably thinking, "Well, is he talking about the temple? Is he talking about the last day?" And well, I'll, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is well, yes. Not that they happen exactly on the same day. Of course not. The last day hasn't happened yet. But the temple will fall, won't it? In AD 70, the Romans will come in. They'll basically lay everything to destruction. Uh, Everything will be completely torn down. Um, But of course, the last day doesn't happen until, well, whenever Jesus comes back. And this shouldn't be a surprise, though, because this is really typically how prophecy works in a lot of ways where you have the prophet uh, speaking of something that's going to happen. And sometimes you wonder, is he talking about something that's going to happen soon in the near future soon? Or is he talking about something that's going to happen later on down the road? And a lot of times the answer is Yes, it happens in, in both ways. Just kind of off the top of my head here and talking about Abraham. God says to Abram that he's going to give him a land. Is he talking about the land flowing with milk and honey in terms of when they go into Canaan? Or is he talking about something that's beyond that? And well, the answer is yes. God does give uh, Abraham's seed, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? He's going to have so many people that his lineage is going to be great. But is, it, is he just talking about the Jewish nation? Or is he talking about those who are going to be in faith in Jesus? Oh, right. It's both. He gives Abraham uh, a seed in Isaac and Jacob, and they multiply. But we who are in Jesus are part of that faith, so it's talking about us too. Yes, it's referring to the land flowing with milk and honey, but that's not the only land that's important to God. He is going to give us a land that is flowing with milk and honey, where the lion uh, lies down next to the sheep, right? Where we don't have to worry about any more pain or suffering. There is a land that's part of the promise that we will still get to see, which is eternal paradise, So when he makes that promise to Abram, is he talking about Canaan or is he talking about heaven? Well, golly, he's talking about both, isn't he? Uh, That's a good way of understanding prophecy. Uh, We see them talking about Jesus coming. Are they referring to Jesus just coming once at Bethlehem or are they also referring to when he comes back? Again, yes is the appropriate answer. It usually refers to both. That's why when we are in Advent, which is where we are right now, we talk about the now and the not yet. The prophecy has been fulfilled, but it hasn't fully been fulfilled. You know, I was uh, trying to think of another way of, of thinking about it. Maybe I don't need to. Uh, but if you could imagine uh, maybe going shopping uh, with somebody and you're just so tired of getting all of the groceries, right? Imagine a little kid. I, I want to go home, right? And uh, the mother says, all right, we just have uh, to find um, the cookies. Once we find the cookies, which they're in aisle five, then we can go home. Okay, so you get to aisle five and uh, you see your mom take 
take the cookies off the shelf and she puts them in the basket, but then she keeps walking. You're like, mom, you said once we find the cookies, we get to go. She goes, I did. This is one set of cookies, but we have to finish it. We have to get all of the cookies for the celebration. Maybe it's a bad example. I don't know. Maybe it's not. But the fulfillment usually doesn't just come in one thing. It keeps coming. And also, when we look at this then in chapter 21, Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, and talking about the last day. Well, it really pertains to both. The same kinds of stuff are going to happen in the last day as what happened at the fall of Jerusalem. It's the same kind of thing. Another term that gets thrown around is a prophetic telescoping, where you look at a prophecy and it might seem like uh, the, the events are close by, almost like you're looking through a telescope, right? You see these uh, two landmarks that look close, but the closer that you get, you realize that they're actually uh, further or farther apart than what you originally thought. So with all this being said, what brings up this conversation that Jesus is going to have with the disciples? Well, the people are looking around at the temple. Uh, we know from the other Gospels that it's one of the disciples that asks the question. Uh, look at all the stones. Beautiful offerings right, are made here. And um, we see just such beauty. And the temple, of course, is a great central place uh, for the Israelite nation. It's so important to their history. We need to make note of that. Um, the temple is where God's glory dwelled. As they are going through the wilderness, where did you find God's glory? It was leading the way, wasn't it? It was wandering before them, uh, either as a fire by night or a cloud by day. Wherever the cloud or the fire went, that's where Israel was supposed to go. They looked forward to that place or that time when they could have that, that spot where he wouldn't move anymore, that it would be their place. Until then, they were left wandering the desert. And finally it happened, right? They got into the promised land and God would no longer wander. But then they built the beautiful temple that would be a resting place for God. It wouldn't be temporal like an ark or a tabernacle where it could just easily move. It was going to have a solid foundation made of the most beautiful gold or silver, bronze, all the precious metals. The fabric was beautiful. The, the wood was cedar. I mean, we're talking the best of the best. God wouldn't be going anywhere. This was going to be his final resting place. There was a sense of hope. People could bring their offerings. Everything about this was so important. It's all about the temple. This is how you knew God was still with them. That's why in the Old Testament, when the exiles were cast off, they were distraught because not only did the nation fall and the walls of Jerusalem, um, they also fell, but the temple fell. First temple was destroyed. It was heartbreaking to think that God left them, but God brought them back, didn't he? So here they are looking at this beautiful temple, and they get a response from Jesus that they probably weren't expecting. Uh, Jesus says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will be thrown down. So the time is coming when this temple is going to be destroyed. And he says, hey, 
People are going to be terrified. There's going to be a lot of crazy things happening when it does, right? Uh, there'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. That's verse 11. Um, there'll be persecutions. You'll be delivered before kings and governors. And this is where maybe it's switching back and forth between uh, what is going to happen with the temple as well as on the last day. But all those things will probably happen as well. Uh, but he says, not a hair on your head will perish, but you'll keep enduring. But then when you see Jerusalem surrounded, in verse 20, um, you'll see people start to flee. They're going to want to flee to the mountains. You're going to feel sorry for the women who are pregnant, right? There's going to be nowhere for them to run, as well as nursing infants. Um, it could be that their parents won't last, or it could be that they themselves won't be able to live because of how awful the destruction is going to be. And apparently it was pretty bad when Jerusalem fell. But in all of this, though, Jesus really doesn't say that the disciples need to do anything. In fact, he's given them some heads up that it's going to happen, but he really doesn't tell them anything really to do until you get to verse 28. But I'll read verse 27 just because I think it's important. Uh, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So you're not going to miss him. It's not like Jesus is going to come and we're going to be like, uh, did we miss him? Did, did he see him? Did he already come? And, and maybe we were left out. It's not going to be like that. When Jesus comes back, we're going to know that he came back. No one's going to miss it. But here's what he says. Now, when these things begin to take place, this is the only thing it really says for them to do. Straighten up. Raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. You see, in the midst of all that terror and, and the fear of all that might happen, what does Jesus say? It means that you're actually a whole lot closer to when finally everything is going to be fulfilled and you will be with me in eternal paradise. I really think that's how we're going to look at this. So when we see things happen, we don't have to say, oh, the end is coming. Or when we hear about wars and rumors of wars, we don't need to say, look, I guess Jesus is coming and then try to figure out if it's him or not, right? I mean, that's the thing with this end time stuff. A lot of people feel like it is their mission to try to figure out when that last day is going to take place. It's not really for us to decide. Jesus says no one knows the day nor the hour except the Father in heaven. What are we going to do then? Well, we're going to keep serving Jesus. We don't need to worry about how we're going to defend his name because he promises that he's going to send the Holy Spirit for us if we're in those uh, kinds of, of, of times of persecution. There really isn't a lot for us to do except for what? Straighten up, he says. Raise your head. Look for what God is going to do. So always be looking for the salvation that God is bringing to us. That's what we're calling is uh, for us to do. Our calling is to look for the salvation that is going to be coming. And we can see it everywhere, can't we? I can. That's why I come to church. I come to church to look for the salvation. And he gives it to me in his body and his blood. I look for the salvation. And it comes to me when we as a church confess and forgive one another's sins. When I hear those words, that Almighty God from another pastor, Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. Eyes are called and ordained servant of Christ, forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the salvation coming near. 
It comes so close to us, even in the midst of all the travesty and tragedies that we face in life, wondering if the world's falling down upon us, and maybe our world is falling down on us, but we always see the salvation of God drawing near. And it is. Think about that. It is near now than when we first believed. We are that much closer to Jesus coming back. And I know it can be scary. I mean, I think that's the thing about it. Most people fear uh, these kinds of things happening. There's some scary stuff in our world today, yet God still gives us blessings, doesn't he? He still showers us with his grace and mercy, and he will until he comes back. See, this isn't something for us to really fear. There's nothing we can do. Instead, we just continue to focus on Jesus, who we know doesn't abandon us during these times. So then we'll do what he says in verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Where the focus isn't on the now, it's on the not yet. We know better times are coming, and we know it'll include time with Jesus, where we get to take our place and stand next to him. Ooh, I can't wait. In the meantime, let's keep pointing one another to where Jesus shows himself. Let's keep looking in the word, in the sacraments. Let's keep forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. All right, everybody. We will see you tomorrow, chapter 22. We are closer. We are getting close to Christmas. We are getting closer to our study on Luke. Man, time flies. It sure does. I will uh, check you tomorrow.